0: You're listening to CX Confessions, brought to you by Koros. In each episode, we'll share the customer experience stories and insights you need. Straight from the sharpest minds in CX to better connect with your customers and create customers for life. Let's start the show.
1: Hello, hello, and welcome back to CX Confessions. How are you doing, Spike Jones?
2: I'm doing fantastic. It's getting near the holidays, getting excited. How are you?
1: I am great. It is so good to be back. I'm Catherine Calvert, CMO for Coros. And as always, I am joined by my trusty partner in crime, Mr. Spike Jones, general manager of our strategic services practice. That's me. That's you. We have a very special guest today. Another one of our illustrious Experts here to share a perspective on what CX should look like, can look like, maybe shouldn't look like. Our special guest <laughs> today is Ms. Linda Goldstein. So, let me tell you a little bit about Linda. She is, runs marketing for CSAA Insurance Group, that is one of only three insurance providers that underwrite AAA. Right, so this is a, they, they cover AAA insurance in over 23 states and the District of Columbia. It is a massive company. She leads all aspects of marketing, including digital, external affairs, brand management, analytics, research, strategy, direct marketing. Before joining CSAA, she was at Citigroup for almost, well, over over 15 years, we'll say. Lots of uh, senior marketing positions there. She hails from the East Coast, but she's with me out here on the West Coast. And it is going to be a really fun conversation. Linda, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. We are thrilled to have you here. I'm not sure I did it full justice. So tell us a little bit more about CSAA, its purpose. Why are you there? What do you love about it?
3: So, CSAA Insurance Group is one of the companies that provides automobile and home and umbrella coverage for AAA members in 23 states and the District of Columbia. It's over 100 years old. We've been providing insurance services to uh, AAA members, which is a pretty long time. And we are what I would say is a purpose-driven organization. We believe and we articulate that our enduring purpose is to help members prepare, prevent, and recover from life's uncertainties. So it's a noble profession to be there when you make a promise and deliver on that promise. And in our case, the promise is when something not so good happens to your home or your auto. So that is kind of in a short nugget what we do.
2: I really i love i love the perspective that you're going to bring today. And I remember some of the anecdotes that you shared that I can't wait in in the uh, in the pre-call. And you know the industry that you're in, it's super interesting because it's it's one of the things most everyone's familiar about with. But it's also one of the things, it's like, you don't really think about it until you need it. Kind of like the electricity in Austin in the wintertime. So, Linda, we talk a lot at CX Confessions about CX, that idea of customer experience, which is a huge concept. I, you know It means so many different things to so many different people. Can you talk a little bit about your perspective and how y'all bring that to life?
3: I certainly can. Uh, customer experience, it is a big bucket of stuff to unpack. I think the way we think about it is really it's about the journeys that our customers are on, and they're on multiple journeys that span their lifetime with us. And so thinking about how do we deliver against the brand expectations and customer expectations in those experiences each and every time at the moments of truth is how we think about designing and executing those experiences. We measure them in many different ways. But one of the most important things that we do around CX is we really try to bring the customer to the beginning, the middle, and the end of all of our decision making. And by that, I mean, we're always balancing within our business world the different sets of needs and desires, but always making sure that we are deliberately bringing the customer view into that discussion and that decision making process so that it is always considered and that we always have the appropriate plan to
1: address, I, I that is so interesting because I think that we we talk a lot on the show about how about the way those uh, every the daily expectations have been so fundamentally changed because of some of those retailers you just named, for example. But I think about the business you're in, and and you talked about you know from the very beginning of the buyer's journey, but the moment that they really need you can be incredibly vulnerable or emotional it's not like we're logging onto a website to go find a new pair of shoes i really need help something terrible might have happened so it becomes much more volatile that moment how do you how do you think about or what are you know and, and certainly for many of the customers you've faced it's been a tough few years how how do you think about those moments that are so fraught sometimes and bringing that member first orientation
3: it's a great question And what I can say to you is, you know, the moment of truth for insurance is when somebody has a claim, period, full stop. But it can also start right before they actually have a claim. So let me give you an example. You know, we started this practice back, I want to say, in like 2016 when the wildfires took off and it was really bad out in California. We have a lot of policyholders in California. And we started to realize that we need to make sure that our policyholders are okay. That our policyholders understand their coverages and that they understand that we're here to help. And while, you know, typically, you know, your insurance company, they wait for you to file a claim. We actually uh, mobilized in our office within like four, 24, 48 hours a phone bank and brought employees in, trained them, and put them on the phones. And these aren't call center people, these are people like me and like my colleagues. And literally, we had lists of policyholders who were within a certain radius of the fires that were evacuated. And we were literally calling people just to say, hi, are you okay? Proactively. Proactively. Just, hi, Catherine. This is Linda calling from CSAA Insurance. Are you okay? Do you need anything? How can we help you? That was it. No other ask. If they needed help finding a hotel, we were, we were ready to help them do that if they were being evacuated. If they needed to file a claim because they knew that they already had a claim, we were able to put them in touch. If they were still at home preparing to evacuate, reminding them of the types of things they'd want to bring with them. But that was like one instance where it was like, okay, we're going to go above and beyond. We're going to break the stereotypical mold and we're going to reach out to you before you might even need us we have a a large trailer that we send to affected areas. So whether it's tornadoes, fires, floods, you name it, hurricane, and we man it with folks to be there to help make it easy for customers to file a claim. So we go to where they are. And, you know, we're typically one of the first to arrive and one of the last to leave. We've got, you know, limited supplies of, you know, if you need certain things, but the other thing that we have done in the past is um, we've had employees make teddy bears, and we have those in these trailers because when these kids show up and they have nothing because their house is gone, one of the things that we can give them is you know a, a stuffed animal to hold on to. So you know we are showing up where our customers need us, and that's a little—it's a little thing—but we're there to help facilitate the claim, but also make it easier for them and their family. It's about making sure they have what they need in that moment, but then holding their hand through the process you know, a large loss claim like your home, pretty devastating. And it's a complicated process.
1: Complex, so complex. So
3: complex to navigate. We've put together, you know, manuals to help our policyholders navigate that so that they know what's coming next beyond just their adjuster, because that first day, you know, I think of it as the Charlie Brown syndrome, right? You're in shock. It's like you're in school. And no matter what somebody's telling you, all you're going to hear is, Wr-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r. you know? <laughs> yeah. like you just, you can't process it all, right? Mm-hmm. And so we put together, you know, these, you know, binders, if you will, that help them understand what the, what's going to happen, what to expect, timelines, you know, ballparks, because every claim is different, but really trying to be their partner in this process and to help them through it. And, you know, we do the same thing if you have an auto claim, you know, or an umbrella uh, policy claim. But the idea here is how do we, you know, personify the brand in every interaction? How do we make sure that you understand that we're more than just an insurance company? We're your partner. You know, we're going to stand with you because we made a promise and we're going to deliver on that
0: promise.
1: And that makes me think of a question we always ask on the show, but picturing your teams putting together that bank, for example, relied on geographic data for your membership and then demographic and risk data. There's so much data, and it, certainly the insurance industry probably ranks one of the, as one of the highest. As a leader of the team and thinking about how you create those moments even before the moment, What's the data that matters most to you and your team?
3: Wow. That's a great question. There's so much data that matters to me. and I think it depends partially on the journey. So we just completed a refresh of our segmentation so where we actually went out to really look at the industry of insurance of you know PNC and then to look at it and how it correlates you know with our with our policy book and with AAA members. And we've refreshed it and we've kind of taken a different approach than we had in the past. We took more of one that was, I want to say it was heavily based on attitudinal and technographic variables that required a predictive model to score. And we've kind of shifted that a little bit here. But, you know, the net of it is understanding that helps us understand their motivations. The other big piece of data for me is really understanding how we're delivering on those experiences to our policyholders. And we use a number of tools to do that. We, Use Net Promoter Score like most. We use a lot of uh, primary research, some secondary, but we've also started using the Customer Effort Score, and you know we believe that's actually a really great measure for today with our customers of how good a job are we doing. And so the Customer Effort Score, you know, if you're not familiar, is a score that measures how easy it is to do business with a company. And the idea here is how you know easy can we make it in our journeys for our customers to do business with us. But one of the really interesting things about customer effort score that's different than most other scores is it actually correlates to profitability. Wow. And so it's a tool that helps us understand how easy is it for me to do business with you, but also in doing that and making it easier for you to do business, I should be able to either increase my revenue or decrease my expenses.
1: Associated with that resolution, right. right? Because it's easier. That's a new one for me, the customer effort score. Is it, what are they, how, how is it derived? How are you measuring that?
3: There are a series of questions similar to an NPS survey that okay. we field, but it gets more at the crux of these questions that are more specific and within the purview around convenience and ease of doing business. And it's also interesting and I like it because I think it's easier for people to understand. So, you know, an NPS score in one industry of 47 could be really good and another (laughs) 75, you know. So, you know, when you hear NPS, you're like, I don't know. You know, unless you're familiar with that's your specific industry, it's not, it's not as meaningful, right?
1: Right. Relevant. Customer, yes.
3: score is on, think of it up, on a hundred point scale. So a 90 or better is an A An 80 to a 90 an 80 to 89 is a B. So you can kind of think about it like you're getting a grade. And I think it's also easier to kind of communicate that across an organization and say, you know, we, we have an 85 or we have a 90. Yay. You know, people can wrap their head around that because they're familiar with that kind of scale. So it's, it's, this is our first year of really, you know, rolling it out.
1: More intuitive than, yeah, and universally understood. That's really cool. It also has such a nice dovetail with your mission and and basically saying, in your moment of need, we want to be there for you and make it easy. So let's measure effort. I, I
3: think that's really But it's also cool. just to be clear, it's not the only score we're using. We're still using NPS. We're still using... Right you know Gartner and JD Power and Kantar and all the other tools that are out there it's another tool in the toolbox because there isn't one tool that's going to give you the answer each one has its you know its pros and cons and if you can triangulate them you, you can get the fullest picture so um, we're really excited about the customer effort score, and pleased thus far with the insight.
2: Now, Linda, you, you talked—you've talked about you talked about putting the customer, you know, first, beginning, in the middle, and the end of, the, of a claim. You talk about part, the true idea of partnership, and how you weave this into the culture and the fabric of the company. You know a lot of companies talk about this uh, very few deliver on it and what's exciting about it or not exciting but the, the intriguing thing for me from my word of mouth days is like now you're giving people these talkable moments that they're going to go to others and go they were there for me in my time of need and here is this specific thing that happened T- teddy bear the, the 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 bus showed up because they were there they were the first ones there last ones to leave and so you're giving them these the stories. And so what I, I love about that, it's a lot easier, I mean, sorry, a lot harder to do, actually have those things come to life. And that kind of leads me to my next question is, in this industry, that's, this industry has been around for a very long time, and you differentiating yourself, is there something in this industry that, that's a commonly held belief that you just think, man, that just doesn't hold water. We just don't do it that way.
3: I will share what I believe is, is uh, from my perspective. And I, and I think it applies across a lot of other industries. As business people, we like to talk about our business problem, that we've got, you know, we've got a business problem and we've got to fix it. I'll say to you, we don't have a business problem. Our customers have pain points that we have yet to address. And if you address the customer pain point, you'll get the business outcome that you desire. And so, you know, yes, there are business challenges, but they are, they are rooted in a customer dissatisfier. So I prefer to think about what is the customer's challenge or the customer's pain point that we haven't addressed in order to yield the desired business outcome. So when you say, you know, we have a retention problem. OK, well, the customer really has a problem because they're not sitting home saying, you know, yeah, today. <laughs> uh, they've got a problem and whatever that problem is. And so it's our job to figure out what is that problem and how to address it. And it can be a positioning issue, it can be an education issue, it can be as easy as you know, an online experience or flow issue. But understanding what is the root of their true problem and how to address that will yield the business outcomes that that folks desire. So, that's kind of my I don't really buy wholeheartedly into it's always a business problem.
1: I so that would though, I think drive necessarily a really interesting conversation internally. How do you measure success, right? You have your usual marketing KPIs. You might have your usual retention KPIs to your point, earlier point. How do you work with a leadership team, work with your own team to set the right kind of internal metrics that also connect to that idea of it all starts with, are we making our customer happy?
3: Great question. We are a highly collaborative organization. And it's one that I think is a little bit, I had not experienced coming from the public sector, public company world. It is from the first time I interviewed, it's one where it really is all about teamwork and collaboration. I can't be successful without my peers and they can't be successful without me. So first and foremost is making sure that, okay, we all are operating, You know, we understand our operating agreements of how we work together we still have all of the standard, you know, business KPI that ultimately dictate success. But if I peel back and I say, okay, how do we get there? It's projects and initiatives that improve our NPS, that improve our customer effort score, that that wow our customers in ways in which you wouldn't typically expect. And so getting, you know, everybody has to buy into this notion of we have to consider the customer. Right. And I'm very fortunate that we have that culture where, yes, you know, pricing is pricing and underwriting is underwriting and it's highly regulated. So it's going to be what it's going to be. But how we talk about it, how we explain it and how we deliver it to customers is within our control. And so as an organization, it's really trying to make sure Again, that those are deliberate, thoughtful conversations, and that we align around how do we take that to market? And by market, I mean both to prospects as well as our policy holders. So when they get, you know, how do we explain to someone why their rate is going up? We need to make sure that across channels. It's a consistent answer and it's one that they can understand. It can't be, well, we have a black box and let me tell you, you know when a number comes out. <laughs> That's not how it's done, but I don't right. I don't want somebody saying right. that. I want somebody to be able to explain to them if right. you had an accident or you got a ticket or you added a vehicle or you took a vehicle off or you added a drive, giving them things that they can process and and say, Oh, I get it. And so it's really right. working together to say, what are the avenues? What are the options? And what's going to work for which segment? Because different groups of people are going to respond differently to different answers. So making sure that our messaging is aligned to the different audiences so that it's meaningful and relevant and one in which they walk away from that conversation feeling as good as they're going to feel about the conversation.
1: And you made that point earlier in the, uh, when when you were talking about your business, I want to bring it back because I I think it's really hard for people to get comfortable with the idea that your customers won't like every answer. I think you said you have to be deliberate about that means that maybe it's an answer they don't like, but it's thoughtful and it's clear and you operate with transparency. That's, that takes some courage, but I do think it's reflective of how you're sort of playing the long game of, of a relationship, right?
3: Yeah. I mean, I'll give you an example, you know, pricing is a perfect example. Nobody ever wants to say that their insurance is going up, you know, people already are not, you know, I I don't like it when mine goes up, but making sure that I can, that if I call you, I go online or I go and I speak to an agent face-to-face that I'm going to get the same answer is really important is making sure that explain to you in a way that you're going to understand it. And it's, I don't ever like to say we're going to, you know, raise somebody's rates, but the market is, right. you know, we're risk-based products. My dictator's right that.
1: might require it. But yes. I
3: can do it in a way in which it's as clear for you so that when you walk away from that conversation or that or that experience, that there's a level of satisfaction that you got an answer that you can understand. And I think, you know, other opportunities. I mean, we there's other, you know, surprise and delight moments where we've made deliberate decisions this past year where, you know, as there were fires in Tahoe, we have properties that we insure there. And we actually took action to specifically treat homes with a retardant to save their homes.
1: Proactively again. Proactively
3: again. You know, we've done things where during the pandemic, we worked through really quickly standing up and making sure we could do a uh, you know a touchless claim where folks didn't have to interact with people in person if they if they didn't want to you know really trying to figure out how do you deliver on the experiences people want and what they expect in a way in which they understand it and it makes them feel you know good about doing business with you
2: so when it comes to those hard conversations they actually trust you and don't say oh you're just trying to rip me off it is no we've already established this relationship i trust you okay, I understand that this is a tough conversation to have, but I know you're telling me the truth.
3: Yeah. I mean, you want people to feel that their insurance company has their back. Yep. And, you know, we really, be- we lean into that um, as part of the AAA brand. I mean, the brand is ranked as one of, by Morningstars, one of the uh, most trusted brands in America. And so we take, you know, being a steward of that brand really seriously and making sure that the experiences align with that, but not, you know, to, uh, and it, taking them as far beyond as we possibly can, because it's an important job to, to take care of a brand like that.
2: Absolutely. And again, ha- a lot harder to do and put it into practice than to say for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated. So so this is CX Confessions. Yeah. And so we always ask this one question of all of our esteemed guests. Okay. Now, while we have all experienced great success in our careers, some of the greatest successes are also born out of missteps. So can you recall a time in your career journey might not have been at this company that maybe you learned a hard lesson uh, the hard way uh, from a, maybe a misstep that you had and then what you learned from it and took to the next next thing? Mm. I personally didn't make any mistakes in my career. So I'm, I'm, I'm clean. <laughs> I'm good.
3: I think learning how to use customer information in a way that does not come off as creepy, stalker-esque, <laughs>
2: I don't know what Is
3: really was a lesson, you know, that I, I learned early that you have to be super respectful of people's information. And if you, you know, while you may be in possession of it, you have to use it in a way in which it doesn't create anxiety mm-hmm. or fear. And that um, you have to be really respectful with it um, beyond just today, you know, all of the data privacy and all of that. But this is really, we all use data and, you know, to, as marketers, to better understand our audiences, to target, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think making sure that you have that balance of how to use it appropriately and with the proper, you know, care and respect that the customers expect and deserve.
1: And that's a lesson I, I know I have to keep relearning because the data, the, 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 Data sets continue to expand. There's always a new way or a new tool or a new lens that I could look at things through. And you, you're right, you have to weigh it against is this in service of my relationship? Is it going to make this prospect or customer feel better about working with this brand in a way that you know has added value? But there's so many the things to add value to them.
3: Right. They have to perceive. People, I believe people understand that their information is out there. You know, At some level, everybody knows that your data is out there and people are buying it and using it. I think the question for all of us really as marketers is are we using it in a way in which it enriches the customer's life in, a, in the way in which it's intended? And they have to perceive that value, not us. And if they do, they're comfortable. If they don't,
1: You've lost them. The
3: consequences go up, you know, exponentially every day uh, today in today's world.
1: Well, listeners, like and subscribe, and I'll give you Spike Jones's home address and personal phone. But
2: <laughs> oh, that's readily available. Right. Everyone knows what that is. Anyway.
1: It is. It's all out there. But I, I think the premise you're touching on is so important, which is earning the right. You know what? 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 Ex, what exchange of value can you give that would say uh, you? Therefore, sure you can use this information in a meaningful way. So Linda, this has been fantastic. Uh, Before we sign off, we always like to wrap up our conversations with a glimpse, speaking of personal, uh, into our guests and what makes them tick. So we have five questions we always ask. Welcome to Quickfire Confessions. Uh, This is about Linda, and we will get going with the first question. Linda, what was the first concert you ever attended?
3: First concert, I believe, was the No Nukes concert. So now I'm really dated.
1: Wow. So that's solid. That's solid. That is so legit. <laughs> that's very
2: cool. How about your first job?
3: My first job. Now, is it like my first real, real job or my first like summer job?
1: Both, of course.
3: You
2: know, Mine was
1: folding jeans at the Gap, if that helps you.
3: My first real kind of job, um, I'll give you the first two that I had. Um, the first one was a summer job where I was in a management training program at a company, at a store called B. Altman and Company in New York City. They were a department store. Mm-hmm. They are de- Very um, fancy. again, dating myself. <laughs> the more interesting first job that uh, came after that was um, I did a summer as a uh, public relations intern for Pierre Cardin and Paris. Oh, nice.
1: Oh, that is glamorous. B. Altman's was a great store, though, sort of like our iMagnons out here in the West Coast. Yes. Yeah. Very Yes. Okay. If you couldn't do what you're doing today, speaking of jobs, what profession would you attempt? I wouldn't be very good, but
3: I do like cooking. I like trying to, you know, I, I like cooking. I'm not very good at it. So I guess I would, you know, want to work at it and study under somebody and be mentored, but that might be it.
1: That would be the path. Cooking or baking?
3: Cooking. I'm not a baker. Cooking.
2: Yeah, no. yeah, we're not strong cookers in the Jones household, so we implemented this thing about three years ago called New Chef Sunday, where every Sunday we pick a uh, recipe that we've never tried before, get the ingredients, and then cook it up. You can always invoke the pizza rule, so after your first couple of bites, you like, <laughs> nope, this is crap. We're going to order pizza, which has happened from time to time, but it's definitely made us better uh, cooks, I would think. Braver. Yeah, yeah a, little yes, bit, braver. a little bit, a little bit. Your favorite app on your phone? There are no wrong answers.
3: Okay, so- I've gotten into doing crossword puzzles on my phone. So the app, so there's a couple. So I do this one word one that's part of the New York Times puzzle, and it's very hard sometimes. And then I have the daily crossword um, app, and then the Daily Beast also has a crossword puzzle. I'm not doing like the really hard crossword puzzle. And I've noticed that I do so many of them that they all have the same clues. Like, why is Ernie L's a philosopher?
1: <laughs> Those are very common letters. So that's a good one to use. Yeah. We in the New York Times, do you do the spelling bee? Yes. Or, oh, I'm obsessed. Obsessed. I have with to the spelling get to bee.
3: genius, otherwise I can't go to bed. So it's like once I started, I
1: have to get to the genius level. Oh, Linda, I uh, can count on one hand how many times I've made it. And I always take a screenshot and send it to my kids (laughs) because I'm so proud of myself. (laughs) But I made it to genius.
3: You just got to keep playing. And sometimes they don't count all the words that you put in. And then other times I have noticed um, (laughs) some of the words I don't think are real words.
1: (laughs) I've seen that when I look at yesterday's, you know, who also loves it? One of my big crushes, the inimitable uh, Steve Martin, he posts when he gets, he tweets about it when he gets genius level. Yes. Anyway, it hasn't happened for me very often, but I, I won't, I have, I have lower standards, but I have to make it to, to nice or great. It's all, it's also spike. It's a cult and the you re- reach certain rankings every day and it's very like damning with faint praise. Like nice. You kind of if you you could you do pretty well, but it's like you're stuck at nice job. Mm-hmm. Solid right. for a while. Yeah. I will the best it out. Though,
3: is when it's got an ing because oh, I like you know
1: for every yes. word get like two. Yes. It's so exciting. E D pretty good too. I get very yes. excited when I see that. Yeah. I feel like a genius. Okay. Oh, so exciting to talk to fellow spelling bee addict. Okay, finally, setting aside that, which some might call an indulgence, what is your biggest indulgence?
3: I'm going to go with reality TV. And I mean, like, Ooh. you know, like housewives below death, mm-hmm. 90 day fiance. Like, I am fascinated by watching these people who know they're being filmed <laughs> behave like children. Yes. I'm fascinated by it. And so yeah. I'm like, you know, that is, you know, my thing.
2: Some of the smartest people I know, that is their guilty pleasure. And I, I, I'm like, I don't, it's, it's like a juxtaposition. Like, you're so smart. Why are you watching this? And because they're like, it's no, so it's just mindless. like, a, yeah, it's in, in mindless and like a, a release. Yeah, for sure. You can just lose yourself in it and you don't have to think about anything else. Nobody
1: gets hurt. Below Deck has been a stay at home discovery for us too. And it's just, and then it's set in this beautiful place. So you're, it's yep. really, it's delicious also makes me feel good about my like when you can sort of it's like watching dateline which i was a, which is one of my indulgences it makes me feel really good about my marriage because neither of us have completely <laughs> contemplated killing each other so uh, that's how i feel about some of these shows like, gosh i really do have my stuff together so <laughs> anyway linda thank you so much for joining us mm-hmm. it has been fabulous having you on the show
3: Thank you guys for having me. This has been a lot of fun.
1: Linda, if people want to learn more about you or CSAA, where would where should we point them? We should point them to
3: LinkedIn. Either Linda Goldstein or CSAA Insurance Group.
1: Fabulous. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for being such a great ambassador of the story. It's very inspiring to hear about sort of the real passion behind an insurance company. So as a Californian, thank you for what you all are doing. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. Thanks for joining us for another episode. Spike, great job as always. Hey,
2: I'm just, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having
0: me.
1: All right, everybody, please like and subscribe, and we will see you on the next episode of CX Confessions.
0: Your customers expect to be understood, their likes and dislikes, their history with your brand and their communication preferences. But so many companies struggle to connect the dots of interaction across their own teams and channels, and it's creating customer experience challenges and disasters. That's where Kouros can help. Koros is the award-winning customer engagement platform built to turn those siloed interactions with your customer into enterprise value. Koros works with more than 2,000 of the world's leading brands and powers more than 500 million digital interactions every day. Koros is the award-winning platform for digital-first customer engagement. Ready to create human connection across the digital customer experience to create customers for life? Learn more at koros.com. Thanks for listening to CX Confessions, brought to you by Koros. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player and give us a rating. See you next time.